Jack or Dom, please. Um, excellent. Okay, so let's start. So where did you get to? She's just landing at Gatwick. Oh, I'm wrong. I'm doing that for like I'm doing again. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. I'm okay, but to be honest, I lost my trauma of the journey. Now I have homelessness trauma. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, Jack yeah. yeah. Be nice. Sure, you didn't like being homeless either. No, you didn't. You were a real hairy. But before we get on to how Jacko and Awa were reunited and then why they became homeless and what happened after that, we need to get Awa into the UK. So, welcome to Why Am I in Your Country? This is episode three of Awa's story. This is a podcast which tells extraordinary stories behind the refugees and asylum seekers we keep hearing about on the news. They tell us why they came to the UK, what were the appalling things that were happening in their homes and their countries that made them make this desperate journey. To try and build new lives for themselves and their families here in Britain. My name is Charlotte Eager. My name is William Sterling. In the last two episodes, we've been following Awa, a Syrian-Palestinian actress, as she had to give up her home and her career in Damascus when the war began. She fled to Lebanon. She lived there for about six years with her family. She worked there for the BBC. She bought a dog, Jacko, a little fluffy golden retriever puppy. And then the Lebanese government said that Palestinian Syrians had to return to Syria, so she went back to Yarmouk, her hometown, which is a Palestinian suburb of Damascus, to discover that the whole place had been completely destroyed. No houses, no facilities, no people. had gone. And that as a vaguely well-known actress, she was being asked by the regime to come out publicly in favour of it. Given that her world had fallen apart, she decided to try and come to the UK. She also, as she pointed out to her, grandfather had a British passport as he'd lived in Mandate, Palestine. So she had to pay for a smuggler. Oh, I'm telling you, the time is dangerous. You won't be able to do that. But I have no choice. And she walked for weeks through part of Kurdistan. We walked... And walked, and walked. I could have a drink the deepest ocean. The mountain was steep. I could not breathe. It was in Kurdistan, August, 40 degrees. I filmed myself because I thought I was going to die. One of the people traffickers that even tried to sexually assault Awa, but she managed to get rid of him. I'm not being a victim. But for women, it's very dangerous. She crossed several rivers and she finally managed to get to Greece. And then she bought a real American passport from her smuggler, who very cleverly advised her to fly out of Corfu, not Athens, because they didn't check properly. And she got on the plane and she flew into Gatwick, which is where we find her. Okay, so Arwa, Arwa, right, you're on the plane and you are coming into land at Gatwick. How does it feel? What happens now? The smuggler was giving me some instructions that I need to get off the plane and then go straight away to the toilet, tore in my passport and flush the toilet on it. So flush the passport down the loop? Exactly. And then going to the, um, what's called the area? Immigration. Not immigration, before, no. No, no. Passport control. Go for shopping, no, no, no. Duty free. Okay, you've got to do that again. 
Uh, well, maybe it's okay, actually. We well, Dave's not a character in this podcast. <laughs> maybe Dave should become a character in this podcast, because Dave is a sound man. But Dave was also an asylum seeker. <laughs> and at some point, we'll be interviewing Dave <laughs> and his constant legal battles with the Home Office. Yeah. Who I actually feel sorry for. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for Dave. I'm lucky, to be honest. I'm really yeah. lucky. Okay. At least I'm a refugee now. <laughs> He's still a asylum seeker. No, you've got refugees. You've got refugees. I mean, you spent 10 years or 15 years, 12 years. Two 17 years. years. Huh? 17. Two years. Fuck 20 off. years. Mm. Wow. Yes. Yeah, it's been 20 years. <laughs> I think going, fuck off. Wow. Don't get putting up two fingers. Oh, no. <laughs> it should be like this. Oh, victory. Oh, victory. Oh, victory. Yeah. So you spent 20 years in wow. a silent seeker. Well, that's Dave's story. This is another day. Okay, back to our So, are we, what were we supposed to do in duty free? Like uh, waiting around four hours till the airplane just fly again. Oh, right, so they can't so, put you back on it. Exactly. <laughs> but I was following people to go to the duty-free, and it seems people going to the checkpoints. Mm. And then the security asked me, uh, what passport do you have? I put my hands straight away in my pocket, acting like I have it. And then I said, American. Have you flushed it down the loo? The Already, yeah. yeah. I was panicked. <laughs> and then he said, oh, you can go to that counter. You need to fill forms. It's That's welcome to Britain. Here's a form to fill in. The it's first of many forms. The thing is, like, where's the duty-free? This is in my mind. Where's the duty-free? So I filled the form. And then while I'm doing the form, I was looking to the bathroom. Because I need to ask the smuggler, what should I do? My phone was off already. The charger that was me doesn't work with the blacks in, in UK. So I hide in the toilet for around half an hour, going out of the door, looking right and left, and going again to the toilet. After 30 minutes, I felt like, oh my God, if there's anyone in the cabin <coughs> just see me acting like this way, mm-hmm. <coughs> probably they, sure, 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 they sure, were sure, suspicious okay. I'm tourist or some Terrorist. Terrorist. Not tourist. Terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, like, there's no point just to hide. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to to go and just give up. What were you hiding for, anyway? What were you waiting for? I don't know. I don't know, literally, because I, I should follow the instruction of the smuggler. Mm. I should wait for four hours. And then I couldn't... There's no mm. point to it. No way. So I wait for 30 minutes, mm. and I felt like, oh, my God, anyone can come and suspicious me if they check me on mm, the cameras. Yeah. And then I decided, like, I will go and tell them I'm refusing. So I said, let's do it now. I do remember I was the last one in the queue. And then I went there. And she was, her name, Rachel. I do remember. She was lovely. She said, uh, hi, good evening. Your passport. I said, I'm a refugee. I didn't know about asylum seeker terms before. She said, Sorry. She couldn't understand well and then said, I'm sorry, I'm a refugee. And then I broke down. I literally collapsed and she was nice. She just came behind the counter to me and uh, she said, don't worry, don't worry. You are, you are safe. You are safe. You crying. And yeah, I, I, river. I was crying rivers. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just remember saying, sorry, sorry. She said, don't worry, you are safe now. I need to check your uh, your luggage. I said, fine. So while she's checking my luggage, she said, oh, you speak good English? And me, I was very proud of myself that moment. I said, yeah, I worked with BBC. 
And she said, oh. And then she checked my everything like nice and said, don't worry. I will let someone come. She called police and they come to me. They took me to the room and Rachel went with me and they said, do you need interpreter? I said, I don't know. I looked at Rachel because I trusted her. I felt safe when she said this and she said, yeah, believe me, you don't need interpreter. I said, okay, fine. Then they put me in the room and I do remember I slept straight away. And then they woke me up. They did interview with me. And you see, till now, I'm struggling with the language. I'm doing my best. But can you imagine five years ago how mm -hmm. was was rubbish? Anyway, and then I slept again. Waiting. Waiting for 12 hours in a small room at Gatwick. Not knowing if I was going to be deported. Plus, having going again and again over my story. And there's after like maybe hour, half an hour, another one wanted to interview me. So they woke me up. It seems this is the strategy to interview you while you are fresh waking up. So you can't think of anything, you know. And I did the second interview. And anyway, I spent 12 hours there. And then they ordered a taxi for me. And they said, you're going to go to the motel. So once I get out of the airport just called my sister because they returned back the phone to me. I said, I'm in London. I, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I paid high price to be in London, in Britain, mentally, physically, you know, and uh, yeah, all for good. So the driver, the taxi, took me to the motel where I spent three days and then they took me to the hostel in Derby. I spent 22 days there and then they took me to Rotherham to uh, asylum accommodation. So here is Awa now safe in the UK, but she's in the limbo of the asylum system. I spent 11 months there. They did interview me after four months. She's also had to leave behind in Syria her mother, her sisters, her brother and her beloved dog Jacko. And until she knows whether she's allowed to stay in the UK or not, she can't even begin to make any plans. Nor, to her amazement, is she allowed to get a job and work for money. She's just kept by the state in a hotel. She's fed and she's provided with a bit of pocket money. It's all incredibly frustrating for someone as dynamic as Awa. But she manages to fill her time. I volunteered with the British Red Cross and Refugee Council and two local charities... I was assistant English teacher for ESOL. I finished interpreting course level one. I did course in Sheffield called uh, Women for Peace Community level two. Why were you doing all these courses? Because I wanted to improve the language. I wanted to keep myself busy. I wanted to prove to British people that I'm not here for, for anything else other than build my future and being safe. This is also really complicated because each refugee has a duty to prove the community, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So we'll do extra job. And then the decision come up after seven months. When you finally got the letter from the Home Office saying that your asylum claim had been accepted and that you had refugee status, 
What was it like? Did you go down every day to see if there was a letter waiting for you? Yeah, for sure. And I do remember that specific day, the boss Casey, she knocked the door. And that means she needed to hand it up by hand. So something very, very important. So I, I just ran down. I opened the door for her and then she asked about my housemate. So I was just like, oh my God, not me today. And then she asked for me. I went back and she oh. gave me this big envelope, brown one. I was shaking. I had to sit in the stairs. I couldn't even go to my room. And my housemate just like was around me. I just opened it. I had like positive thoughts, like probably I would get it. But still, I can't guarantee. So can you imagine I'm opening something will the whole my life based on it and then i just opened it i just went straight away to the year i even couldn't read it like line by line then i noticed there's 2024 and then i started to cry and i hugged the paper as baby and i still believe that paper was my that answer was my baby and uh, i cried just like yeah finally i'm free and I'm safe and settled and I have now new step to start again. It was a very, very emotional moment. And um, yeah, it's insane. It's insane for, for any human being that piece of paper is your baby, is the rest of your life, is your future, is everything. This is how it was for me. So you, so you made it through and lots of other people don't. What, what, why do you think you succeeded and other people didn't? And was it just luck or was it your personal qualities? And, and do you think your training as an actress helped at all in any way? I think destiny. God wanted me to be in London and meet Jonathan and have a baby and family with him. Oh, yes. Yeah, so Absolutely destiny. Absolutely. The baby has not been mentioned in this podcast before, but Arwa is very pregnant. So Arwa's story has the most marvellous happy ending. But before Arwa can get to her happy ending, she has to build a whole new life. So Arwa now moves to London. She gets a job. She works as a waitress, but she also does some acting. She works for the BBC for a bit. She comes to work for us. We actually met her during COVID on an online acting project. But she is still separated from her family, her friends, and she's separated from Jacko, her beloved dog to whom she promised that she would bring him over to join her. So he's a hero. I, I call him a hero. He's, he's my a hero. hero dog. Yes, he's very hero. He's been through a lot, but he's managed. He's a big boy and good like boy. Dog-like mistress. Did you talk about war paws? Oh, yes, so very she mentioned briefly that. mentioned war paws. Hey, Jacko's fantastic journey here, much more luxurious than our worst, wasn't it? Because <laughs> you were flown here by a charity called War Paws, weren't you? Poor old Arwa, you had to walk for... Days and days and days and days and days and cross rivers and nearly died. Let me show you. Um, you were flown here, here. in an aeroplane, weren't you? This is, I don't know if you saw. Oh my God. This is when he I left so him. thin. And this is when they rescued him. Oh my God, darling. He's so thin. Yeah. So was this a GoFundMe page? So there's our world with Jackie yeah. in Lebanon. Yeah. Oh, we're looking very glamorous on the sofa. Maybe, in those days, oh, was very thin and Jacko was yeah. plump. And then, <laughs> and then, no, it's all very wrong. But then when she was rescued Jacko from, when Jacko was playing here, he was really skinny. But of course, just when Arwa gets her refugee status and is able to start building her new life and start aiming to try to get Jacko over to the UK 
It's late 2019, and as everybody listening to this podcast knows, the world is about to fall apart. The reason why the sound quality is now going to be different um, for a bit in this podcast is that I was, was actually in hospital when I interviewed her. So where are you? I'm in Queen Charlotte Hospital to give birth for my first baby, Arthur. Baby so now Arthur. Mom, baby Arthur, know. who is due... Baby Arthur. And which is why Arwa's voice sounds very tinny, because Arwa is talking to me from hospital and I'm yeah. sitting at home recording her on my laptop. And baby Arthur has refused to come for the last three days, so we're a little concerned. Yeah, the... Because it's not his time. His time should be next week. So why are they That's... inducing you? Because you're so big. Yeah, bless him. He, he weighs already now four kilos and 192 grams. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. So he, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. He's a big boy. <laughs> like his dad. Yeah, well, you're a tall girl, aren't you? You're a very tall lady. Exactly, yeah. I mean, no one's surprised in the hospital that I'm having a big boy. But before we get on to the story of Arthur and Arwa's new baby, we have to go back to the other great love of her life, Jacko. How did it feel... When you had to leave Jacko behind? In Syria, you mean? It's really hard decision, not only Jacko, uh, the country, the career, my family, the friends, everything. For the final time, I, I look upon the house of the parents. For the final time. Jacko in particular, because I know how much he's vulnerable as a pet, but I promised him I will not let him down and I will escape and then rescue him, trying to rescue my family as well. So my duty was to survive, to let them survive as well. And how long was it before you saw Jacko again? Uh, around three years. The asylum process took 11 months. And moving to London, having job, and COVID happened straight away, take another two years. So, yeah, three years. I emailed literally every charity care about animals in UK. Tell one of my friends in Kurdistan, she took care of pets. She told me about Warbo's charity. She said they have very good history of rescuing dogs from war area. And I think you can fit the conditions. So I emailed them many times. I explained my story, did my best just keep pushing them. They ended up accepting my case and Jacko's case. But COVID make the things very late, they decided to cooperate with another charity in Lebanon. My family can send him in Lebanon. So he was in he was in Damascus, wasn't he? And he? He was very skinny, unhealthy, because my family tried to protect him and kept him inside for over eight months. So okay. can you imagine a dog not walking outside? And this was because outside it was dangerous. And they were kept yes. him in the house, didn't um, they? Because uh, they were scared that he'd be shot. He might have been hit, yeah, hit by... Is government poisoned the whole area around because of lots of dogs in the street who tried to follow dead body and stuff. Yeah. So my family were scared either him to be poisoned, either to be attacked from another dogs. But luckily for Jacko and Awa, Warpaws came to the rescue. Jacko arrived with them in Lebanon and was promptly put into quarantine in kennels. Because this is how. Home office deal with uh, pets from abroad, especially Middle East. So he spent over seven months because, especially with COVID, and uh, when they checked all of his health, and then allowed him, and then he travelled from Lebanon to Paris, from Paris to Wales. So I collected him from Wales. 
But he was very thin, wasn't he? Because obviously it was very difficult feeding a dog at the time because it was very difficult to feed people. The thing, the quality, parents, yeah, the mother was living at the time. The quality of the food, because back then covered, so the borders between Lebanon. Yeah. Because my family had to bring his food from Lebanon because better quality. But because of the covered, the border between countries being mm. shut. Yeah. So my family had to buy just food from Syria, mm. which is back then and still now the food for a human being is not the best. So what about pets? COVID. We first met Awa during COVID, and we were running an online Zoom drama project. We had of Syrians who've been in our original projects in Jordan and Turkey and Germany and Austria and. Glasgow and they were all joining these workshops every week online on Zoom. It was bizarrely successful actually, it was incredibly mm. popular. We had about 60 people. Wow, yeah. So Arma, that was when we first met her and she came on board to run the workshops with us because she's an actress. But she was working as a dental receptionist and she would do the workshop in between being a dental receptionist. <laughs> so she'd be on Zoom in her dental receptionist uniform. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember. That very was funny. funny. was really funny. Was in really Harley Street. In Harley Street, exactly. <laughs> that was very funny. Anyway, it was a lovely way to meet you. So now we're segueing from Harley Street back to Queen Charlotte's Hospital, where Arwa is still waiting for baby Arthur, who is rather reluctant to come. So Arwa, how are you feeling? I feel excited and at the same time confusing because it's it's hard. I don't know now whether I can deliver him in a natural way or caesarean. So at 10 o'clock p.m. today, we'll discover this. I've been trying for three days to try a natural way. I'm, I'm trying to do induction before like 10 days of his time because of the baby size. Seems I have a big boy. So now I want to go back to how Arthur came into into being, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Which really goes back to you being made homeless. Obviously, I knew you at that time and you were living in a nice flat in Ealing. And then what went wrong? Yeah. So um, basically, after Jaco made it in London, um, I was working and having my studio flat in Ealing. And And, and where were you working? I was working in a Greek-Turkish restaurant near Camden Town, part-time, and doing with you also theatre sessions as an actress and as assistant director. I work at a restaurant, but I still dream that someday Martin Scorsese would come and discover me. <laughs> Some volunteering as work experience in Harley Street in dental clinic. Yes, I remember that, because when we were doing our online project, you would come in on Zoom dressed in a dental hygienist uniform. <laughs> Like the sexy nurse in the hospital drama. <laughs> yeah, that was a lovely time. I tried to do multiple stuff to gain multiple skills until they have a stable career at the end. However, and out of the blue, I returned home from my work and found a very strange big envelope. And it seems like a court section. It seems that without any notice... The landlord, he went to the court straight away to affect me. I confused. I went to the solicitor, tried to fight back because there's no reason. Only he just financially struggling. So he wanted to sell his property. So the best way for him, he thought, is to affect me through the court. I tried to look for another property, but because I have a dog... Unfortunately, landlords are not keen in terms of pets. Plus, as I have part-time job, and the council at the same time. I mean, it would have been easier for you to find a flat without Jacko, but 
But why couldn't well, you give Jacko up? This is the thing. I have Jacko, which is something a landlord in London they are not happy with. And doing part-time job for them also not stable, like receiving housing benefit. However, the council actually refused to help me until giving up my dog. Because if they want to give me temporary place, pets not allowed. So I refused. And why did you refuse? Because I can't. I. This is the thing. I did my best. He was with my family and I did my best to bring him here to be with me. I can't just put him in anywhere. And then I noticed like he's my therapy dog. Even the police being involved and a psychiatrist during the whole process. And they realized like for me, he's my therapy dogs and he's everything for me. You know, uh, having him for six, seven years, it's it's long time. I, I treat Jacko as my baby, as, you know, something I should fight for him. I think there's no mom can just give up kid for any reason. So this is was for me. This is the case. He's my kid. I will not give up him up or let him down. For me, it's, he's not a dog. That's very, very understandable. So so you went to court, and, and then what happened? So the judge uh, ended up taking the decision, like he would give me four weeks instead of two weeks, as he's aware how much hard to find property with dog. Okay, oh, well, can you say that again? Sorry, because I right. called it myself a cup of tea. Sorry, apologies. That's fine. However, I couldn't find. The council wouldn't help me, so I ended up in the street. Oh, oh well, what was that like? Oh, I think, I do believe it's the worst thing ever, ever happened in my life. Even for me, the worst than, it's worse than the war itself, that I escaped to be safe. It's something I would never, ever recover from. How many nights did you spend and, and where did you sleep? I slept in the corner of the council. On the, uh, on the doorstep of the, the council? the corner of the council, yeah. The thing is, I thought, like, I want to sort it out But on the street, outside the council office? Yes. Yes. And to be honest, the security tried to help me. Uh, There's employee from the next company tried to email the the manager. So why did you decide (laughs) to sleep by the council? Because, you know, I don't have any family here or friends. Um, So this is the thing. I, I went to the hotel, by the way. And they refused because of Shaco. And, uh, yeah. So So you had money. You had money for a hotel, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. I had, like, yeah, around, like, yeah. Because I I lost my job in that period of time Mm. to focus on the housing. Yeah. Because I was stressed all the time. So you you had a limited amount of money. Yeah, exactly. But I had limited money at least to, you know, to spend couple of nights in the hotel but they didn't because I looked straight away I looked as a homeless you know I mean I, I couldn't shower for a couple of days I, I, I looked miserable sad depressed so I think they got scared you did still look beautiful our oh thank you <laughs> anyway so yeah I ended up in the corner of the council for a couple of nights and then when you say on the corner you mean on the street on uh, yes, yes. Uh, on the corner next, by the council building. By the council building. And you said the police were quite helpful. Yes. The thing is, um, 
the police came twice. First time because there's a drunk man who I'm not sure if he tried to attack us, but he came to us and he was talking and he was drunk, you know. And then I, I didn't feel safe. I get scared. Um, and then I called the police and they came and they took him away. And uh, then while we were sleeping, Chuck and I, I just felt someone or something just, you know, kicking me a bit. And I looked and it was a dog without leash, a huge dog without leash, until his owner came. So also I felt unsafe. And then when I felt like there's... When the council actually challenged me to either your dog, either stay in the street. They thought, like, I'm a refugee and suddenly I'm having my dog here. Like, I, I just decided to buy a dog here. The lady from the council, she said, why are you having dog here? I said, no, he's my dog. I brought him from, from back home. We reunited after three years taking my dog from me. It's like ending up my, my life. So I'm happy just to end my life if anyone just mentioned, like, I can't be with my dogs. And then they called police. So this is where we're going to leave Awa, sleeping on the streets with her beloved Jacko outside Ealing Council building at what she feels is the very, very worst moment of her entire life, with Ealing Council threatening that they won't rehouse her unless she gives up her dog. But Awa feels that Jacko is not just her family, but her only friend in Britain. And now the council's called the police. If you want to find out what happens to Arwa and Jacko, you're going to have to listen to the next and final episode of Arwa's story in Why Am I In Your Country? If you want to find out more about what we do at Trojan Women Project, go to www.trojanwomenproject.org. And you can also, if you want to, buy some of our films, which goes to support our work. Or even make a donation, which would be just as good and possibly better.